Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to Tokyo on Fire. Today is August 28th, 2015. This is episode 23 of Tokyo on Fire. Today's burning issue is on apologies. Apologies for acts that were done or acts that one failed to do. In particular, what we'd like to focus on are government-issued apologies. This is with regard to the end of the Pacific War 70 years ago. We had the anniversary just two weeks ago. The Prime Minister made a statement of apology. Some would say he didn't go far enough. And in addition to that, the emperor also had his own statement. So that's what I'd like to delve into. Once again, this is our 23rd episode. You're watching Tokyo on Fire. Thank you very much for joining us. My guest and co-conspirator, as usual, is Michael Chuchek. Michael Chuchek is adjunct fellow at Temple University at the Institute of Contemporary Asian Studies. He's also teaching budding young minds, international politics, Diplomacy and Foreign Relations at Sophia University, which is just 500 yards down this way. Michael, as you may not know, is a well-known speaker and writer on issues of Japanese politics. You can find Michael's opinions on several issues on his blog entitled Shisaku. Michael, welcome again. It's great to be back after a break of two weeks. We had two-week break. There was Obon, and then last week we took a break. There was a little bit of a scheduling conflict. This issue of apology we really should have addressed last week, but I think a lot of the times that we, we deal with issues of, of contemporary importance, hopefully they have a longer shelf life, and I think this issue on apology, people can look at this even two, three months down the road and glean some sort of understanding of what's going on in politics, what's going on with the Japanese culture, how things are done here. Well, even certainly only two weeks later, we're still seeing op-eds, we're still seeing survey results coming out day, every day about what happened on August the 15th, and what were the, what were the implications, what have been the repercussions. So this is in no way a dead issue because August 15th has passed. You know, the thing, it always comes up on the anniversary of the Pacific War, the end of the Pacific War, this thing about apologies. And if you've lived in Japan long enough, you understand that, I mean, in any culture, even in the United States, some people... Uh, find it difficult to apologize for things that they've done or that they've failed to do. But I think as uh, in, in a Western culture, uh, people are told, you know, you man up, you bone up, you, you say an apology, you accept what you've done. And here in Japan, I don't know if it's as, as a prominent in Japanese culture, um, young people are not trained or indoctrinated about accepting responsibility and issuing apologies. And in particular, when it comes to the end of the war, you know, China, uh, South Korea, a lot of the Asian nations say, you know, you, you need to apologize. You need to apologize heartfelt in a heartfelt way. And uh, something seems to be lacking. You know, well, something, something that seems to be lacking is one thing. And we can certainly get into the details of what's wrong in, in the case of war apologies and, and Japan. But I, I, I take your point that there's a cultural issue. And certainly the cultural issue for me uh, hinges on the point of sincerity. Is the apology sincere? Mm -hmm. Is there a lot of apologizing in, in Japanese life? You better believe it. There's apology all the time. I walked in front of you, excuse me. Yeah, the, 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 train, the train is 15 seconds late. We're so very sorry for inconveniencing mm -hmm. you. It's a, there's a constant stream of, of apologies going on. All right. Many of them are heartfelt, many of them are not. Many of them are rote. It's part of the lubrication that you need in, in social interaction. If you don't apologize, the, the, the relationship gets stuck. Uh, there's a, you may have a problem with a senpai, an older employee who sees you as responsible for something. And so you apologize for something actually you didn't do, but just to get through that moment. So there is within Japanese culture, a use of apology that is somewhat different than in other places. Well, in fact, issuing an apology doesn't only involve something that's heartfelt, but it also involves, I have responsibility for what you are suffering from, therefore, I accept that responsibility and I apologize. Well, that's the thing that has gotten a lot of folks angry at the Japanese government for a long time whether it's been a personal apology of the prime minister, and, and most of them have been in his name, or if there's more generalized governmental actions. In almost all the cases, the, the statements are made in the passive voice. Mm -hmm. So I didn't do something. A situation arose. This happened. Everything is as if it were an act of, of God, an act of nature. And this is very acceptable in the diction, both of the Japanese language and also of the Japanese culture. 
But other countries want to see personal responsibility, first off. Mm-hmm. And so the statement that we saw on August 15th has, is, is, is wall-to-wall avoidance of saying the word I. Mm-hmm. And I can understand that there are countries and people, who are individuals, who are frustrated by this seemingly uh, personal attempt to avoid responsibility, but you have to read it as a cultural issue. Well, sure. I mean, a lot of it is just the lexicon, how you write, how you express yourself. And every apology that has been issued, and um, I I guess it is very controlled by the prime minister's office, or at least... And, and the foreign ministry, and, yeah. And the foreign ministry. So uh, you're not supposed to go off topic. And, and if you even if you're the foreign minister, perhaps you are not allowed to issue a statement. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you speak off topic, um, I guess it would cause a lot of trouble. But the point is, is that if you look at all of the statements that have been issued for the last 70 years, well, they haven't been issued for 70 years, but... A lot, but things have been said. Right. Basically, the, the, the apologies culture started in 1965 with the reestablishment or the establishment of relations between Japan and South Korea, where the foreign minister of Japan issued the first apology, right. uh, which got that process going, otherwise it would have frozen mm-hmm. at, the, at the outset. So the, it's, it's a now a 50-year, it's a 50-year thing, not a 70-year thing necessarily. Well, let's go back even further. Mm-hmm. Uh, MacArthur came in, he had a meeting with the emperor. The emperor was prepared to say, you know, I, I apologize, you know, we mm-hmm. shouldn't have done this thing on this, uh, this small island of That's Hawaii. Right. We, yeah. we sh- and, and the timing was, it was just wasn't right. Uh, MacArthur was kind of a, you know, typical cowboy, as a lot of people are when they first come to Japan. And he wasn't culturally sensitive to the dynamics. And that opportunity was lost. And um, so, yes, the apologies. I, th- I think that maybe that kind of kicked it off. Hmm. You know, that, that if the emperor is not going to be in a position to say something to the supreme allied commander, hmm. then maybe we shouldn't either. And I think it really influenced uh, the dynamic uh, ever since then. It's possible. It's, 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 not, you know, it's not an unreasonable theory. Mm-hmm. In the case, however, in 1965, and, and one of the sad things is that this 50th anniversary year has not in any way been celebrated to any extent reflecting the real relationship between Japan and South Korea. It, everything has been extremely low-key. Uh, the only activity that happened was Abe showed up at an, a hotel reception here, and Madame Park showed up at a hotel reception in, in Seoul, and they both spoke at these receptions for the celebration. Uh, of course, the two haven't met in a summit, and the, the two countries are at loggerheads about so many issues now. Uh, it's really sad that that has taken place, that 50 years out, we're, we have a worse relationship than we've had for many, many decades. The apologies that are expected on the South Korean side are pretty extensive and and there's very very little likelihood that Japan will go anywhere beyond what it's done. But let's 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 get back to Okay, the lexicon. Yeah. The, 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 the lexicon, the language, the, the, the language of of apology, uh, you look at all of the not all of them, the vast majority of them actually go to uh, great lengths to express remorse and a heartfelt sense of regret for having that situation occur. Once again, it's in the passive voice, but a lot of effort has been put into putting words there within the Japanese context that would be acceptable to another Japanese as a heartfelt apology. It's okay, I'll, ac- I'll accept that line. But however, we, we really do have to talk when we talk about apologies, at least for governmental apologies, on the issue of translation. Mm-hmm. And the issue of translation has become acute during the Abe administration, it sure where, has. They, where the issue about what a word or a phrase means has become a source of really, really virulent and, and divisive battles, not only in Japan, but all over the world between Japan specialists firing angry emails at each other. No, that, this is what that word means. No, that's not what that word means. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the right translation of that word. No, that's absolutely misleading. That has been going on all through this year. And the, the key words have been shazai, 
which is generally directly translated as apology. Hanse, the, the word for reflection, literally reflection, but has been translated by the government consistently as remorse. Right. And again, people don't agree that, that those are actually the words of sincere, heartfelt apology that people want the government of Japan or certain individuals want the government of Japan to express. Right. Well, when it comes to government apologies, there's two positions one can take. I make an apology to cleanse myself mm -hmm. and to unburden myself, mm -hmm. or I make an apology for your benefit. And it seems like the Japanese issuing of apologies is kind of for their own benefit to unburden themselves without regard to really being accepted as an apology by the receiver. It could be 180 degrees uh, opposite of that, but you know, there, there are two ways to, to review a, um, you know, an apology as heartfelt. In this case, we're looking at a situation where uh, China and South Korea, are, who are the major actors here, with the United States as an actor, on, uh, really two, two steps removed. There are words and phrases that the United States wanted to see in the apology on August the 15th, or I'm sorry, the statement on August the 15th. Mm -hmm. Uh, Abe right. will never say that he'd get, uh, shoot an apology on, on August 15th. He'll say, it's a cabinet statement. It's a statement of Japanese government policy. And we made that point mm -hmm. a few, a way, uh, when we did in a previous broadcast. Uh, this issue of trying to go forward uh, to, to move beyond apology, uh, to, to try to deal with the situation in a final way, sincerely, uh, it's actually not what the interest of the, of the in the interest of the Japanese people. It's not in the interest of of the Japanese government. It's certainly not in the interest of Abe himself. Of what? Apologizing so that we can move forward. Well, uh, apologizing in a sincere way, because sincerity is something that you have to establish and you have to put a lot of energy into. And we had just pr immediately prior to the statement an extraordinary scene of former Prime Minister Hatoyama going to a former prison in South Korea, which was run by Japanese guards and was used as a place to incarcerate, torture, and sometimes kill uh, resistance elements in Korea. And he gets down, not on, just on his knees, but all the way down into a kowtow at, at, the, at the monument. And the reaction here was, who is this traitor, this sleazy operator getting down on his knees to, in, in South Korea in some horrible show. Mm -hmm. The reaction here in Japan was absolutely virulently, even, even among the, uh, the progressive and leftist elements, the sight of that absolutely was a complete turnoff mm -hmm. to them, uh, to a lot of people. So Mr. Hatoyama was probably expressing the depth of his sincerity. What it, what it looked like was the depth of his being a tool mm -hmm. of South Korean interests. Right. You know, if you look at why people in South Korea or Korea in general and China are so aggressively demanding an apology, take a look at what happened to them at the hands of the Japanese colonial power. You know, how they, they came in, they... Um, took over the entire structure of the state, and they went even further by destroying, by destroying cultural artifacts, uh, religions, um, uh, buildings of historical importance, forcing people to take on Japanese names. I mean, what they did, especially in, in Korea over a 40-year period, was really a, a purposeful attempt to crush that culture and impose the Japanese culture over it. I mean, it was a colonial... Um, initiative. So their idea was, we want to an, a, expand the Japanese sphere. We want this to be part of the Japanese empire. Yeah, it was, there was an ambiguous element, though. And I, we're, we're going to drift off from the idea of apology, maybe, uh, in, in that if you talk to nationalists here, you'll say, they'll say, you know, who rebuilt the Buddhist monuments that had fallen into decay inside Confucian Korea? Mm -hmm. Japanese archaeologists who rediscovered 
the Tang Dynasty antecedents to modern Korean culture. Japanese archaeologists, Japanese historians, who took care of these things, who reestablished, and, and, and there was a, a real sense, not only in Korea, but more importantly in Manchuria, to develop a, a trans-Asian, a, 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 a pan-Asian cultural uh, that spread across all the ethnic groups of the region, that there was an Asiatic identity, um, mm -hmm. certainly with Japan in the lead right. and, and at the top, but nevertheless that there was an, an entity an idea, and some, something worth preserving there. So yes, there was the question of the destruction of the Korean language, the destruction of, of the replacement of, of Korean names with Japanese names. But at the same time, in terms of culture, there was a, a concerted attempt and modern-day Japanese conservatives will tell you about it ad nauseum to promote an, a new, uh, inclusive, and powerful Asian identity, you know. Mm. So they will say, and why should we apologize for that? Sure. We were fighting against cultural imperialism and actual imperialism coming from England, coming from France, coming from the United States. The, the, there were colonies of all the European countries all sprinkled throughout Asia, taking up uh, territories there. Most of them were won you know, by, by, by force of arms. Mm -hmm. you know, why should we apologize? Well, it's true. I mean, uh, in, the in a historical context, the Japanese could also point to the French or to the English and say, look what you guys did. I mean, what we're doing is, is not, no less horrible than what you did with the opium trade or with the slave trade or with conquering the Congo and, and killing all those people and using them as slaves. So I see with the colonial mindset, I guess all is fair if you end up on top. And this, if you read the Abe statement, it goes at length for the first about 25% of it, or, or maybe even a third, goes on at length explaining the vast you know, background mm -hmm. of imperialism and colonialism to the actions that took place in Japan. And then after all this has started, after this, this, this big buildup and this great crescendo, he comes to the, the, the line that the Chinese and the South Koreans were looking for, that it was a mistake. Mm -hmm. But what, at what point it was a mistake, you can argue from the text all kinds of different starting points. The, was the mistake leaving the League of Nations? Was the mistake turning Korea into a, a, a colony? You, you could find indications of any, all kinds of different turning points where the mistake began. Now, mm -hmm. to give Mr. Abe credit, uh, uh, and, and this, this is you know, maybe a piddling detail for other people, but it's really significant. He was twice interrogated by members of the Diet on this issue of the Murayama Statement in 1995, where Murayama said, due to a mistaken national policy, Japan and, and Abe, who has been very, very critical of the Murayama Statement, was grilled in the diet session. Will you, you follow that policy? Will will you? Yeah. Where was the mistake? Mm -hmm. When did the mistake happen? What were these mistaken national policies? And Abe flubbed it both times, and just he he BS'd his way through it, uh, got through that day, and and that was it. But he said, to my utter astonishment, that he put that line in that there was a mistake in national policy. I had no idea that that was going to be there, and that for me uh, really sold me on the the statement as being okay, not sincere, but certainly. Having, having the words in it that everyone wanted to be there. Mm -hmm. And the words that, like shazai, a, apology, were in there. Aggression or, or invasion, it depends on how you in, translate shinyaku. All these terms that were magical terms or, or, or must include terms for the US, uh, China, and South Korea, they were all there. So the statement on the August the 15th contained the language contained the words. Whether it contained the spirit, mm -hmm. or it gets us back right back to the culture issue again. Well, I think that's maybe a little bit 
It has to do with, I think, the, the prime minister and his personality. I mean, his speech to the joint houses of, of Congress kind of revealed that too. He, he said the words and he, he tried to add the body language to it, but you could sense that there was, there was a little bit uh, lack of passion in, in the delivery. But maybe that's a, a language issue, who knows? And, well, in the case of this particular statement, it was by far the longest that any prime minister has ever uh, put out. You could say, oh, well, it's got to, to deal with 70 years of time. It must be longer just mm -hmm. by definition. But if, you had, if it had been simply a restatement of the Murayama statement, that would have sufficed. He was clearly trying to do more. He was trying to, to frame the argument in a vast framework of world history mm -hmm. and then history after 1945. And then after that, what happens from now on? So as he was trying to, to talk about the distant past, the near past, and then the future, mm -hmm. uh, eliding over the current tough situation that exists. Well, I think it was a critical time for a statement, 70 years. The next time this uh, a major anniversary comes, and maybe 80 years or 90 years, something like that. And he mentions that at the end. Right, yeah. that, that those who participated, those who were actually involved or touched by that war, Will no longer be it here. It will be history, right? Yeah. So this is this is a really critical um, time for him to make that statement. So a lot of anticipation was there, but one of the issues that he addressed was, you know, when is enough enough? When when does an apology equal an apology so that you guys will accept it that we can move on with our lives and we can have you know better relations and the relations are just, you know, it keeps coming up. You know what happened during World War II? How you crushed us? How you treated us? How you stole all of our national treasures. Yeah, that, and that's something that it's hard to, to not, at, at, a, at a certain emotional level, be in agreement. Mm -hmm. There has to be some kind of statute of limitations right. on apologizing purportedly. But what we always have to do is, is, is always step out of the purely Japanese context and look at it from a global context. Mm -hmm. And we, we need to talk about how other countries have handled apology right. and apologies for historical facts. Mm -hmm. One of the problems here is that there's a great deal of uh, dispute amongst Japanese about what the facts were. Mm -hmm. uh, or then there are certain people who just simply exist, will not even accept things that have uh, documented you know, factual basis as real. Right. There's, there's, a, there's a whole fantasy world of fantasy narratives of, of World War II. But if we look at the behavior of, of other countries, the, the, what, what Germany has done, what the United States has done with its historical legacy, mm -hmm. and there's been no so far American apology, US government apology for slavery, for example, but it, there have been apologies on other issues. Right, Trail of Tears. Trail of Tears. Internment uh, of the Japanese. Internment of Japanese-Americans. Right. And that involved not only just an apology, but actual monetary restitution for damage done. Mm -hmm. And we even had an apology after a century of, uh, uh, you know, so without any historical figures still living from that time, mm -hmm. for uh, the, the abolition of the Hawaiian monarchy the overthrow and abolition of the monarchy, the United States government apologized for that. Uh, not that they gave up Hawaii, gave it back its independence, but there, there has at least been that action, that, that, that statement. In the case of Japan, uh, yes, it, it, this was the opportunity to, for the last time to say to people who were there, and they, there were so many U.S. veterans and veteran, European veterans but very few Chinese and South Koreans right. uh, who were participating in commemorative events throughout the year. More relevantly, let's talk about what happened with Germany and France and England and the countries around uh, the former Axis powers and how they handled that. Because in, in, in terms of the, the events of, of World War II, those were uh, contemporary and in time also. And the way that they handled that, and also the facilitation of the United States, the Marshall Plan, what those countries did to smooth over that. They had a little bit of experience, too, because there was World War I, um, and they weren't going to do that again. Yeah. But the dynamics are very different here in Asia. And maybe it's, it's useful for us to talk about why it's different or um, why it didn't quite gel here in Asia as it did in Europe. 
Well, in Europe, so many things were different. And that's, that's one of the, the matters, again, that the right wing here bring up constantly in terms of the system of apologies that Germany has not only issued, but institutionalized in its education system. Right. The, that Germany was going to be integrated into a Europe, that Germany itself was divided into two parts, East and West. So it was West Germany, which started the process, was actually involved in an ideological struggle against the Soviet Union, and therefore it was easily accepted into the brotherhood of the Western alliance in, in, in instantaneously. There are persons who have pointed out that the uh, British and the French were deeply bought in. They invested in and they forgave debts. I mean, mm -hmm. it's really funny. This summer we heard all about how the Greeks, after World War II, forgave the Germans their debt. And, and hey, it's time to, it's time to for payback. payback yeah, that's right. <laughs> that this is that this took place, and mm -hmm. that that Germany, that the countries that had been oppressed by by Germany, bought in to its integration. Right. Nothing like that existed in here. The Japan was basically uh, run by the same individuals who ran it before the war. There was an, a period of time when there was, to... you know, there, yeah, there, there was a period of time when, uh, during the occupation, when there was a, an attempt to completely clean the house. And then there was a reversal in policy in the, in the 1940s, in 1948, I think, is, was the, where we date the reversal, but there were hints of it beforehand and later. Uh, where we talk now about a trans-war administration mm -hmm. that basically Japan was run by the same group of people. So there was not a break with the past. China and, and Korea, Korea was split between two, it was split in two and was deeply poor. They didn't have any buying into mm -hmm. to Japan. They in fact wanted to strip Japan of all of its factories and all of its machine tools, whatever had survived the, the, the bombings uh, of the cities. They wanted to have that as their reparations. Uh, there was no idea of them investing in Japan, and there was no idea of them joining with Japan in some kind mm -hmm. of alliance against the Soviet Union, especially right. since China immediately had joined what was then the Soviet bloc in its own way uh, with the revolution. This is a completely different situation in Asia. And you will hear conservatives here talk about that ad nauseum. And Yes, it's different. Mm -hmm. It's different, uh, and so the the famous image of Willy Brandt on his knees at the Warsaw Ghetto Memorial. Right. That's always brought up. Why doesn't ex prime minister do that? Mm -hmm. Well, what's you, so hard about that? I mean, that? look at what the benefits could potentially be. Yes. Well, yes. the thing is, that's it's the potential that's the mm -hmm. problem, right. because even today despite the fact their economies of this area are basically in, in a triangle. There is so much trade, so right. much in the way of supply chains mm -hmm. that knit China, Japan, and Korea together in a triangle uh, of, of mutual uh, prosperity. <laughs> wouldn't, right. the, wouldn't the Japanese of the pre-war era have liked that? Mutual uh, prosperity. Yeah, mutual yes. prosperity. This tri that despite these incredibly tight uh, links, mm -hmm. you know, Abe knew that coming in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could say, you know, I love everybody. I love. We're sorry for everything that we did. And if he he'd go, he could do the whole rigmarole that they they've that the most radical people demand, and the governments of, of China and South Korea could let him down. That's right. Well, frequently uh, visitors to the United States might say something like, you know, I like Americans, but I don't like the American government. I really detest what they do globally, and. The same cannot be said for Japanese who travel throughout Asia, in Korea or in, in China. Frequently, they, they get really discriminated on, they get attacked, and they get, um, you know, um, abused. Not because I hate Japanese, but because I hate what Japan did during the colonial period. And I will never forgive them, and my children will never forgive them. And that's passed down from generation to generation. And, and, and Abe asks, we can't, well, he says, he... he, he, he he tells the world that we can no longer hand off to generations of the future this blame. Mm -hmm. uh, that was actually not for him to decide. <laughs> it was yeah. sort of the other side to say, you know, that, that enough's enough. Right. We, we can't go on for that. That was so. 
that probably fell very flat mm. in Beijing and in Seoul. And we've had, uh, they don't do very reliable public surveys in China for various reasons, uh, but in, in South Korea, we have had a number of surveys run by joint Japan, U.S. and Japan, Korean teams of newspapers, magazines uh, that have found an extraordinary number, you know, 70%, 80% of those polled reject the statement as insincere and insufficient, mm -hmm. even though the magic words are there. You know, that's too bad. Um, I, I kind of agree with the, the sense that, you know, when is enough enough? And when is, when are we going to move beyond this? Because there is so much more to be had by you know the integration of of Southeast Asia and and the richness of of you know just for example the the Japanese economic miracle it's a model for many of the countries that are still trying to build themselves up build up their their economies and uh, some of them have been very successful and the thing that's really interesting is that Japanese products and Japanese technology Japanese um, uh, methods are highly regarded and. Uh, mimicked and and copied and and you know people try and embed them even in in Korea China and Singapore that that sort of thing. But well, the, the, in terms of the and that works out in the apologies narrative here mm -hmm. in that there is a sense or there's there's a claim here that when Ikeda Hayato went to uh, Southeast Asia uh, and when during the Sato years there was a dedicated push to apologize and invest mm -hmm. in the Southeast Asian economies. And the, all those countries in, in the net Japanese narrative, people from, from Southeast Asia might have a different view, uh, in the narrative in Japan is all those countries turned and became Japan's friends. We were en seen as enemies there. There were riots when one prime minister arrived in Indonesia once. The, but that was all worked out. And why when we invested in China, and Japan was the major investor for the first right. years after the opening. Absolutely no question about that. Plenty of overseas no, development, development assistance, assistance right. and, and an investment by Japanese firms. And by no, it it sure. really got things going for the Chinese when the Chinese needed a friend. Mm -hmm. uh, this was, why didn't this pay off? Mm -hmm. Now, that has of course played into domestic politics, uh, both Many parties have been blaming each other. Well, the reason why it didn't pay off is because you ruined the message right. and, and that kind of story. Mm -hmm. And then you ask, well, what happened in Southeast Asia? How did that work out? How did, so that you would have things like Mahathir Mohammed of Malaysia talking about a look east policy, which mm -hmm. meant, you know, we, we look away from Britain, we look toward Japan. Right. Uh, that we, we bought so much goodwill. Right. And yet we were not able to do this, replicate it in Northeast Asia. You mentioned when we first started this podcast that even today, three weeks after the, uh, the statement was issued, that there's still op-ed pieces, uh, re you know, uh, masticating it and, and going through it and, and explaining it and trying to figure out what it means and what are the implications, even three weeks afterwards. And with um, not just this statement, but in previous examples too, there's always this, they move forward and they make some good progress and then they retract or they, they say something a little bit um, different to kind of clarify their statement. And it's just, it's like they can't get the message straight. And even when they get the mess, a good message that resonates, they, they bring it back a couple of notches just to make sure. I would, and, I would, I would, would like to say that the Abe administration has at least managed to avoid the second guessing here at home. Mm -hmm. At least uh, I haven't seen in the diet a complete revisitation of the statement by opposition parties. Right. It's not, well, basically right now the, the current fight is over the security legislation that is being debated in the House of Counselors. So that has really shot over lane everything that the statement was issued and it's not become a political football here. It's, right. it's masticated about in the in the news media, it's masticated among intellectuals, but at least it's not clogging up the legislative calendar. Well, well, in foreign policy, frequently countries don't speak in words or in statements; they do it through actions. And what I meant to say by that is that they might issue a statement that sounds really good, and then the next day they visit, 
you know, in a delegation, Yasukuni Shrine, which is the memorial place for the war dead, in addition to many, many other things. But the signal is, you know, even though you might have issued a statement that was heartfelt, the very next, you know, within the next week, you have a delegation of the same party that issued that statement, you know, visiting the war dead, and it's just a, a slap in the face. Yasukuni, I don't know if it was managed or whether it was just by chance. Mm-hmm. Again, the, the, the Abe administration dodged a bullet or managed to move the bullet. I don't know what they did. Only three cabinet ministers went, and it was the three women mm-hmm. in the cabinet, uh, Arimura, uh, Nakatani, and, uh, and Takaichi. They went... So the first it was a feminine presence, so it's softer, even, all, even though all of them are extreme hardliners. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was one. Then there, there, were, there were no male members of the, of the uh, cabinet that went. Then in terms of the members of the diet, with, with this let's go together to Yaskuni, that organization, it had a very small delegation. Mm-hmm. You'd think it's its 70th year, they would have you know, broken attendance records. It was Obon. It was Obon, but you know, when in the first year Abe was prime minister, they had over 80, I think it was 83 members of the Diet in that visit, group mm-hmm. visitation. Another group led by Takai, uh, Takaichi went in at another time. This time, that group could just barely get over 60. You, the uh, idea that there is a nationalist revival, a militarist revival, is not supported by the numbers. And the, and the cabinet mm-hmm. stayed away. The male members of the cabinet stayed away, which I found, again, really surprising. Let's put this into a little bit more of a global context about apologies that have been issued by other countries, other leaders for acts that were done or that maybe acts that should have been done were not done, and how this compares with the Japanese situation. We always come back to Japan not apologizing enough for World War II, and it's a kind of a single issue. But there are lots of other issues internationally. For example, the United States apologizing for acts it's, it's done or for uh, France doing things and being caught and apologizing for that. We had the issue with uh, the United States spying on Japan and apologies that were issued just because we did Tokyo on Fire uh, had a burning issue on the United States spying on Japan. On August 7th, yeah. That's right. Uh, let's backtrack and, and, and let's focus in on, first of all, before we get to that secondary issue, which is still important, uh, this issue of the United States historical apologies. Right. Yes, it's apologized for interning Japanese Americans. Yes, it's apologized for various sundry acts. But there are some things that you would think the United States had a moral obligation to apologize for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and these, thi- these are things that Japanese conservatives in their writings and on their blog posts and, and in their speeches bring up all the time. The United States is telling us to apologize, but what about this? Right. And the, and the, the first thing they what about this is about the, the use of nuclear weapons. The only country that has ever used them in wartime is the United States, mm-hmm. and it was used on Japan. And it was used on a basically defenseless nation. There were, there was no, there were no clouds of zero fighters that these bombers had to make their way through to get to the cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The airs, the, the skies were empty. Mm-hmm. There, was, there was no resistance uh, possible. Uh, and these were the most awful weapons of human, uh, that humankind has ever developed. Where, is, where are the apologies for that? Where are the apologies for the use of incendiary bombing, the destruction of the uh, city of down, the downtown area of Tokyo on March the 10th, 1945, the largest uh, single night of killing ever mm-hmm. by, by humans in wartime, uh, or at any time, of over 100,000 dead, uh, was used with conventional incendiary bombs in the same way that, that Dresden was destroyed in, in Europe. Where's the apology for that? And more, you know, even more recent events than World War II, my, my own you know, personal bugbear is the, the downing by the USS Vincennes of an Iranian airliner mm-hmm. uh, that, was, that took off from an air, airfield in Iran. Was a commercial flying, airfield. You know, a commercial airfield, flew out over the Persian Gulf. The, the mission officer mistook the, the, the uh, signature for a, an F-16, and the plane was shot down with the deaths of over 290 civilian passengers, uh, about a quarter of which, whom were children. 
And the United States response to that of the, of by by uh, then President Bush, the Papa elder Bush. Papa Bush, yeah, right. was I'm not the apologizing kind. I will never apologize for the United States, no matter what the situation. What might be. no matter what the facts are. Mm-hmm. That's pretty and, bold. And, that's that's uh, and you will find Japanese who will quote that. You know, mm-hmm. who will say, "Look, who are you to tell right. us that we don't apologize enough?" Where is your humanity? And you got to admit, that's an argument. So maybe the dynamic here about uh, uh, other countries in Southeast Asia keep hammering, keep insisting on this. It's not really a spiritual or a psychological issue. It's just a political issue. It's rubbing your nose in it. It's, you know, you have an issue you can keep hammering them for. You can feel better about yourself. You're the, the integration of your society feels a little bit more cohesive because you have a, a common enemy. It sounds like maybe there's a little bit more going on than just we, we wish you would apologize and acknowledge the damage that you did to us. Yeah. Here in Japan, the argument is ever since uh, 1994, or actually much long before that, after the uh, Tiananmen Square uh, incident, as the Chinese would say, uh, the massacre in Tiananmen Square. The Chinese government under Jiang Zemin instituted a patriotic education program. And patriotic education is very much an anti-Japanese narrative of liberation and also of uh, the Communist Party being the leading force expelling Japan from East Asia. And we're going to see a reenactment of that, aren't we? Yes, right. Uh, and, we, and we should talk about that. We, you know what, what happened this week in regards to that story of the, the this the Communist Party as the hero of the Chinese people, the victors for, uh, the vic- for having destroyed, uh, you know, crippled the Japanese war machine and repelled the Japanese, mm-hmm. and that the Japanese are our enemies forever. That is what for Japanese conservatives is the barrier. It's not our apologies, mm-hmm. you know? We apologize, we've apologized many times, but how can you win against an education system that says that you're going to be our enemies forever? Right, right. Well, apparently the prime minister was invited and it was on his schedule for several months. The September 3rd uh, celebration of, well, it's the end of the war, the signing of the, of the end of the war, but it was going to be portrayed in Beijing, Beijing as something quite different. Well, I think the story of how it was going to be portrayed was kept a little bit in the dark until it became a little bit too too pregnant to kind of avoid. <laughs> and then it became more, you know, people were writing about it. The Conte, the prime minister's office, got wind of that. And suddenly his schedule, by the way, was already booked that day. Yeah, that was that, that was one of the things. You see? So to, to, to clarify, maybe for people who weren't, following the issue, China is going to have a vast, enormous military parade celebrating the victory over Japan, and then have a reception in the afternoon with international dignitaries. Mm -hmm. And many countries have been invited to send uh, their own divisions of troops, battalions of troops, whatever they want, to march in the parade, and their leaders are, are invited to the reception. Obviously, the Japan Self-Defense Forces were not invited to march in the Victory Over mm-hmm. Japan parade. Uh, but it seems that Mr. Abe was invited to the reception in the afternoon. But the Chinese emphasis on the military parade and the extent and the size of it probably surprised Japanese government officials. And it became clear that this was going to be yeah, um, a a massive mm-hmm. show of force. Except no, that, let I mean, me stop you right there. The prime minister, although he will not be there in his own personal body, there will be a Abe robot in the presence of the throng at the uh, at the festivities of the, the the Communist Party in China. There are some things that I haven't looked at on Facebook or on on, on Twitter. But I have noticed that people have mentioned this robot. Maybe you can say something about it. I, I okay, don't. well, um, apparently the press reports are, and the robotics are really um, taking off now. You can go to Akihabara, you can go to different places in Tokyo, in the department stores, where instead of the, the girl with the white gloves saying, you know, welcome, and here's the elevator, and of course, here's the elevator, here's the escalator, and thank you for riding my escalator, they have robots, very, very human like robots 
that that look and have the features and the, the facial twitches and things like that. So apparently they've got the technology working for them um, for this anniversary celebration too. And if the prime minister doesn't show up and it's already clear that he won't, he will be there in... In robotic form? In robotic form. And what does the robot do? Um, he will receive uh, pelted eggs and tomatoes, I guess. <laughs> And apologize. And apologize. He will apologize. He will, in perfect Chinese, Oh, I guess. Well, he must have had some lessons, I guess. Well, I think um, there's an awful lot of, of interest in what's going on uh, for the, the anniversary. It is a big deal. I don't know if the Soviet Union is sending their well, premier. Well, the, the Russian, you know, uh, Putin will be there because he, he is a big, big fan of uh, Xi Jinping. And, and he, there will be Russian soldiers marching. That's huge. That, that is huge. Yeah, it's, it's geostrategically, yes. And, and as far as I know, I don't think there are any uh, military contingents from the Allies, mm -hmm. even though they were allies in World War II. Uh, it's going to be a bizarre scene. But then again, anything having to do with totalitarian dictatorships is a bizarre scene. It I mean, is we, we had this, the Sochi Olympics. We're going to be thinking about that in terms of imagery, in terms of, of what happened before and afterward in Georgia and in Ukraine and saying, what were we doing there? It is really an interesting thing that we were, in fact, allies uh, with the Chinese, um, Chiang Kai-shek and his escape and... And everything. It's... And, and now, and now we're, we're, we're not going to be sending anyone to march in their parade. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not... Okay. Well, history marches on. What would you expect? It's China. It's China. It's right. good. They've got they've got the numbers. Right. Uh, but somehow that didn't translate into the Conte, even for I'm sorry, the Prime Minister's residence for the longest time. And it was only the beginning of this week that Prime Minister Abe said, "I'm not going." Mm -hmm. It took. It was a very strange, long time. I and I, you know, it's not. It's maybe that Abe has had a very long talk with Xi Jinping. It's been a long time since they've, they've you know, since they've had a summit. Mm -hmm. uh, they have, they've had meetings of various sorts, and, and, and it's, they've been called summits. But here was a chance for him to go on a day that you would normally expect him not to be there, right. uh, and show that okay, history is done. We can move on. Mm. Uh, bad scheduling, bad, bad timing, bad images. It's all a mess. But you know. The news is completely overwhelmed by what's going on in the world markets. Right. So no one's paying attention to this grand embarrassment of the mm -hmm. prime minister. And so who cares? No, no discussion of apology with regard to Japan is complete without talking about two in particular, uh, two issues in particular. One is the comfort women and the other is Nanking. The comfort women issue is essentially um, predominantly Korean, um, although it involves the, the use of uh, Chinese, not slaves, sex slaves, they're called comfort women. Taiwanese, Chinese, Indonesians, all kinds it of was, people. It was replete throughout. It was part of the military machine. Yeah. It was uh, seen as a necessary component of it. Nanking is a different issue. Uh, and the issue with Nanking is it happened, it didn't happen. There One. were this many people killed, there were only this many people killed. Yes. Uh, it was a war of, of, of attrition, and so of course people on both sides died. There are lots of things going on there, but I think one, one thing that ties them both together is an acknowledgement that they even existed or facilitated by you know, the, the military presence. And there is here a very large number of people, not a majority, who will dispute until, with their dying breath, mm -hmm. that the comfort women were camp followers, they were paid prostitutes, and they were well paid, and there have always been prostitutes in war, nothing there. As for the Nanking, maybe 30,000 died. Maybe it was more. Who knows? But let's face it. They'd all thrown off their, the men had thrown off their uniforms. They had tried to blend into the local population. It would, this army had been fighting the most bitter battles that Japanese military had ever fought since the, the Russo-Japanese War. They were exhausted. They were completely yeah. psychologically frazzled. What happened, happened. Yeah. And guess what? You know, that's war. Mm -hmm. uh, the, that there is something to apologize for, a lot of folks don't believe there is. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, Mr. Abe himself 
is one of the persons or is supported primarily by persons who argue that way. Mm. Uh, if you look Nanking at, never happened. Nanking never happened. There was no massacre there. There was a military action. Right. And these prostitutes, they just grew up in camps around the military bases, just like it oh, happens no, in no, Subic they were, Bay? They or? were brought there, but they were brought there by civilian contractors. It, yes, their customers were military, but you know, there wasn't a, an army in East Asia that didn't have its prostitutes. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. And, it go, and the issue of apology for those persons is the destruction of Japan, the destruction of Japan's honor, the just uh, destruction of Japan's dignity. And it's very interesting in the Abe statement. He did uh, mention comfort women in a, an oblique way. In a oblique way. Women whose honor and dignity were compromised. Right. Not only their honor and their dignity were right. compromised. Uh, that, but that's, that's the phrase that you're going to get. Mm -hmm. If we're going to talk about that statement, though, one thing that we have to get out of the way is uh, Abe didn't write it. It was written for him in large part by his speechwriters, his aides, and then by this 21st century commission that he appointed with, uh, with uh, Nishimura Taizo, Nishimuro Taizo, the Taizo Nishimura, the former CEO of Toshiba, former CEO of the Tokyo Stock Exchange, now the CEO of Japan Post, and Kitaoka Shinichi, the professor. Those, this, that group provided the cover and also the content for the statement, which is another reason why it's so long and so blah. It was written by a committee. Yep. Well, uh, apparently when he went to the United States, that, that speech made to the House of, of Congress was also made by a committee. It was rather disjointed and cobbled together. Yeah, and if you read the, the speech, the translation is, a, is atrocious. Mm -hmm. So what part of the problem that we're, we may be seeing, I mean, is really shallow, is that as a work of art, it's a disaster. As a work of, of, of speaking and as a, of PR, it's a disaster. It's reads terribly, it's written poorly, uh, it's translated directly from the Japanese, so the sentence structure of the Japanese is, is directly translated, which doesn't work in the English language. It's, it's as a piece of propaganda, it's terrible. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's another one thing. The second thing is this matter of Abe himself. He's, he has said pr frequently in the Diet, I'm not a historian, and he isn't. Asking him to be accurate in history, asking him to be honest about history, right. asking him to be sincere about history is well outside his... A bit of a stretch. It's, it's, it's outside his capabilities. Okay. Uh, so a lot of the criticism, especially criticism uh, outside of East Asia, is, is on these stylistic issues. Mm -hmm. You know, that he has, that has, he has no control over and he, even if, he, if he, he noticed them, which I don't think he does, uh, he, he wouldn't do anything about. Mm -hmm. Well, we talked about this once before in anticipation of this statement coming out of the Prime Minister's office, and in addition, the statement coming from the Emperor himself. Um, I think this was in one of our earlier episodes, and we were hopeful that maybe this statement would be put together by the Prime Minister himself so that he actually invested himself in it. But I think the, the reality is, and it's like a lot of things that are happening in Japan, or maybe it's just part and parcel of, of Japan Inc. anyway, is that things are done by committee. And in order to get things done, you need to work with people, you need to have other people's voices included, and you need to accommodate other voices to get the ball going. And in this case, Mr. Abe certainly at no point wanted it to be reflecting on him. Mm -hmm. Let's, let, we can be, we can, you know, cut to the chase there. We can say, was he going to apologize as himself? No. Right. What did he say? I accept the uh, apologies of the past and we will continue their program. We're, it's not about me. Right. It's I'm not doing anything. I'm not going to do anything. And the entire speech, again, on this issue of avoidance and, and the style in which the thing is written, is, is disjointed. It's right. dis disconnected, it seems, and unsurprisingly, it seems insincere. Well, I think this, once again, this is part of the cultural issue, I think, that 
Even in corporate Japan, people find it awful hard to accept responsibility and therefore make an apology for that. And we see that with corporate um, you know, shenanigans all the time, just recently with Toshiba, earlier with uh, Olympus, which came to light from something like a whistleblower uh, calling mm -hmm. the shots and telling people what had happened. And then it became a, a rather public, uh, public thing. But people don't really um, feel vested with the responsibility to make these decisions, even though they might be the CEO or the former CEO or a board chairman. The words, I apologize for creating all of this loss of corporate and shareholder value, it just doesn't happen. I resign, I fall on my sword, and let's just put things back together. Yeah, the, 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 in the case of the Toshiba situation, the, the, the major uh, former and present execs resigned from their positions, whether they were honor, honorary positions, whether they were actual management positions, they resigned. They didn't get to have to go out in front of the camera and said, I was responsible. I said yes to this phony accounting. Mm -hmm. I encouraged it. No, they were pushed out of the way. The company comes forward and says, there was bad ac accounting done. And it will not happen again. Because we have a committee overlooking it. Yeah. That's right. And does anyone go to jail? No. No, maybe not. Yeah. I mean, no one has gone to jail over the Olympics scandal of over a billion dollars in hidden losses. Well, well, personal responsibility, maybe not the country to go looking for it. Well, I think that's that's actually pretty true in, in the financial markets, too. Um, well, it's true in the United States. Who, look, sure. how, look how many of, of the people in the biggest banks in the United States went to jail over right. the 2008 crisis? Not that many. <laughs> and many of them are taking in very nice salaries right now and bonuses. Thank you very much. That's a really good point because it's not just about Japan or the way Japan is structured or the cultural um, niceties of how you run a board meeting or how you avoid taking responsibility. You're just, you're just there with everybody else and you're putting your hunko on the documents. Um, why should I apologize? I didn't make the decision. Yeah, or the decision was made elsewhere. You mm -hmm. know, it's just... So, again, Japanese conservatives, they, they're, they're up on that. Mm -hmm. And you'll find that in their writings, too. They'll say, where, where's it? You know, you, you talk about Japan and its avoidance of responsibility. What about you, you people? And, and it, this, you hear and you read the what about, what about, what about. That's a constant refrain. And after decades of this, and it really started getting, started gathering speed in the 1980s, but took off in the 1990s, at the same time as Mr. Abe's career. Mm -hmm. And uh, what the, the justification, the, the act that, that really got it going was the North Korean abductees, where, again, we had this apology from Kim Jong-il, but it was, this program existed, people were taken, it's a sad thing, Please give me a billion dollars for to establish a normalized relationship with us. The same thing that the that Japan's criticized for. Mm -hmm. You know, the the expression of a regret that something happened, but not of personal. I'm sorry, personal yes. responsibility. Well, I wish it would hurry up and go away because it does uh, blemish relations with other countries who we are already in an economic relationship with, uh, a rich relationship bilaterally. And also region-wise, you know, it's just an irritant to, to getting things done and, and developing what P TPP is supposed to be all about, economic integration within the Pacific region. And the, but even TPP excludes China. There, there are the regional rivalries perhaps are the real reason why apologies are not accepted. There is a good school of thought that says it's simply a a reflection of the power relationships between the three countries. South Korea has arisen and is now a, a major economic and military force. Of course, it's not going to accept, it's not on its knees, it doesn't have to accept the apologies or the, the, the half-hearted uh, apologies of Japan. Right. Same is true of China. They don't have to, and so they don't. Right. So It serves a purpose. It's, 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 not, sure. it's not inexplicable. Mm -hmm. You know, the, these, these countries don't have to ex accept the apologies, and so they don't. And there's an, a school in Japan that argues that, too. 
There's no point. The, the power relationships have changed. In 1965, when we reestablished relations with South Korea, they were dirt poor. They had a Japanese-educated elite that spoke Japanese, that the, the two sides could speak to each other in a common language. Right. None of that exists anymore. They're mm -hmm. powerful. They're militarily, they could kick our butts any day of the week. That argument, also very mm -hmm. plausible, very believable. I completely agree with you, and that's an excellent point. With that comment, though, I think I'd like to draw this discussion to a close. Thank you very much, Michael, for joining me. You've been watching Tokyo on Fire. Our burning issue today has been apologies, apologies in the context of Japanese government statements for things that have been done in the past or things that they have failed to do, particularly in the context of the statement made by the Prime Minister two weeks ago at the anniversary of the end of World War II uh, 70 years ago. You know, we appreciate you viewing this podcast, and we also welcome you to send your comments and suggestions to us. You can reach us via email at comments at tokyoonfire.com. Similarly, you can reach us on Twitter at hashtag tokyoonfire. Our podcast is also available on iTunes, and if you're watching us on YouTube, you can post your comments in the dialogue box, and please don't forget to hit your subscribe button. My name's Timothy Langley. You've been watching Tokyo on Fire. Please join us for our next episode. See you next week.